Hello and welcome to the Must Talk Podcast. This is Connor O'Boyle. Okay, this is the first episode of 2019 and today I'll be speaking with Australian-Irish composer Natasha Paulberg. Natasha works across many different mediums such as film, concert hall, advertising and games. She is the lead composer of the Haunted Planet Studios gaming company and has many accolades to her name including winner of the Contemporary Music Centre's 2012 Ad Astra competition. In 2013, she was awarded the Fulbright Scholarship to attend UCLA's Esteemed Film Scoring Program, and last year she was shortlisted for the Jerry Goldsmith Award. Natasha has worked with many notable composers, such as Christopher Young and Gary Scheinman. She is also active in applied research and regularly contributes to papers on various topics, some of which we get into during this conversation. She's very interested in the future of established mediums such as film and gaming and we talk about what that might look like in the near term. Uh, So without further preamble, I give you Natasha Paulberg. Okay, so I'm here with Natasha Paulberg uh, in Dublin and we are going to have a conversation about her... Uh, life in music, I guess. So, Natasha, how are you? I'm well. Apart from a bit of laryngitis, I'm, I'm great. Right. <laughs> well, um, let's start off with how you would describe yourself uh, as a musician in general. Mm-hmm. Where would you start? You know, I start, and I'll probably go back to the beginning, but I started as a performer, actually. Right. That would have been my first thing. And I only realised later that I am a performer and composer, so I used to perform a lot of, um, you know, piano, singing, um, and I did the whole classical route of, you know, the grades through piano, and then I realised that I got really bored with playing the same things over and over again, and I used to make things up myself and improvise, and that's how I realised, you know, I'm I'm actually more of a creative. Mm -hmm. I'd actually call myself a creative composer, musician, performer, Mm -hmm. um, because it's the creative process, I think, that really interests me yeah. the most right. in anything I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd say I'm a composer, performer, but overall a creative. A creative. Okay. And you are a composer in the um, traditional sense of the word, right? So you have come from the the classical background and you mm-hmm. compose. Do Would you say that you compose exclusively in that medium or would you kind of dabble in electronics and kind of this sort of combination hybrid type sounds or would you be John Williams uh I only write for orchestras and that's it Mm. (laughs) (laughs) or acoustic instruments I guess acoustic I think you know I am most comfortable with acoustic Mm. I do I mean I have to say it just comes very naturally or easily and it's something that I really understand the the acoustic the orchestral world Mm -hmm. is something that's like really a part of me I think but however I do love sound and more of like getting acoustic instruments than processing with the hybrid stuff what I do love to do is actually get acoustic instruments and then stretch the sounds um, or reverse them or just do a lot of audio processing to them and make beats out of them um, textures but then I always put an acoustic Sort of straight, I call it straight playing instrument mm-hmm. on top of mm-hmm. it as well. So I like I like the blend, and I love the idea of using acoustic instruments with audio processing with live instruments mm-hmm. because I think the blend is really nice because they're coming from the same sound world, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, so with 
but I do use electronics. Like I do, you know, I love the Omnisphere. I love a lot of the samples, but I always tend to go to the more organic sounding ones rather mm. than the glitchy electronic right. stuff. So I do do the hybrid, but I try and stay mm. organic. I think okay. that's what interests me the most. Mm. Right. And a uh, massive congratulations on the Jerry Goldsmith nomination. That was two pieces, right? Two, yes. Right. So they are recent pieces for, are they for a film or a concert work? Well, the first one's actually advertising. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that was just one of those weird, mm-hmm. weird serendipity things where, um, so obviously I'm based in Dublin, go to LA and a lot in LA as well, but I'm originally from Melbourne. Right. So I got this call from my agent saying, there's this, there's this, uh, you know, ad company in London via Melbourne, like Melbourne via London, I should say, um, that they they can't find the right piece because it is a, I would call it a neoclassical, contemporary classical mm-hmm. piece that they were looking for and they didn't have anything in the libraries. So I was like, oh, I'll just put something together, as you do overnight, you know, you uh-huh. just stay up all night yeah, and put something together. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it was it was ended up being, it was a piece of music um, for a bank campaign for the whole year uh, called it's the national australia bank mm-hmm. ad campaign so it's in about i think 30 commercials or snippets or versions and at the football australia, <laughs> australian stadium football on the tv so that's how that came about wow. really strangely but i guess for me i really had a great sense about it because it's from melbourne my hometown i mm. thought what are the chances on the other side of the world so mm. that's what got nominated which is really nice right. um and what's the what's the criteria for a jerry goldsmith award because he's a very very mm. unique voice he is. so um i was just wondering how how they sort of judge or what what they're looking for in terms of that sort of because he, mm. he would be very much in that sort of vein that you'd previously described of um, taking sounds and and, mm. and processing them and then blending them with the source sound being played as it traditionally would be. You know, yes. I'm thinking kind of Chinatown and those sort of crazy combination scores. So what what were they looking for anything in particular or did you do anything in particular that, that is kind of noteworthy in, in that sort of Jerry Goldsmith vein, quote unquote? Um, I think for the whole Jerry Goldsmith awards, they what I like about them is they're interested in the the like I said the other sounds the mm. things that are a little bit maybe different or contemporary or unique and it's also very much for I think emerging right. um, new talents and things like that people that, and one of their mottos is promoting music of good value that hasn't maybe been heard right. outside of the Hollywood scene so that's what I think they look through and that's probably the vein of a Jerry mm. Goldsmith and this piece does actually use it's, it's very post-minimalist but it's also using layered laid pianos and then sampled pianos used differently so it does kind of take what you think of the right. chinatown sound mm-hmm. there is a bit of that actually in there i don't think that i don't think that that's what they were looking for but they're looking for and the other piece i had as well would be similar it has that's a hybrid score as well mm-hmm. that was for um that was the that category is the free creation category so basically it's any piece of music Right. you want or you have, which mm-hmm. is probably the most popular category because, you know, right. we all have those pieces somewhere yeah. in, our, in our databases, you know. So that was a piece that does incorporate, like, vocals that are processed, panned, tremulator, you know, used a tremulator on that mm-hmm. from Sound Toys, used a whole bunch of plugins, 
but with an orchestral, full orchestral big sound as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's like a suite that goes for like four or five minutes going through different moods and different okay. mm, instrumentation. So I think, I, I wonder that that was chosen as well because it's, it's, it's a bit different mm-hmm. from what you'd hear every day. And that's the hybrid score. Mm. That's, so, that's very interesting. Mm. Uh, th- that kind of leads me on to where uh, I really wanted to get into how you approach composition or how you uh, think of composition and how you um, take an idea or, or how you even determine what is an idea that is worth pursuing. And, you know, I, I have, I've had these conversations a lot recently and I've been speaking to people about uh, how, how you know or the feeling, the feeling like, yes, this is worth keeping as opposed to this is not worth keeping mm-hmm. and how you then take that fragment or that idea and then take it and develop it into something that is that is award-winning or uh, worthy of award-winning. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how you, um, how you approach composition or how, how you even think about composition. It's a big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's and it's kind of funny because it's so different depending what you're writing for. Mm. So, uh, but overall, generally, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's for advertising or for film or for the concert, or concert hall, gaming, um, it has to come from the, the gut. I always mm. talk about it's a real for me, real emotional gut thing. It's kind of funny. It's like there's definitely a muse out there. I think that just descends all of a sudden. You mean like a Greek muse? I, some yeah. sort of music muse. Some, right. There is something in the air. I, I don't know. That, that, that's always, that was always a concept that really fascinated me uh, when I was in my late teens is the concept mm. of the muse, the the Greek idea of yeah. that that you are kind of inhabited by by some sort of yes. um, something other than yourself that, that communicates. Like you're almost like, like a vessel. Like yes. The, you know, so yeah, you would subscribe to that idea of Yes. Of, of channeling, um, you know, so um, people would say that I, I, I don't really, I just write down what, what I'm told to. It's not, it's not really me in, in any way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so talk, talk to me about, mm-hmm. about you know, uh, I, I always come back to the, to the Picasso idea. Um, and he said that uh, uh, inspiration must find you working. It's, uh, you know, so very true. You could have the greatest idea, or you know, many people have had the greatest idea ever, but they were not working. <laughs> Therefore, the yeah. idea never, never was written down, or the, mm-hmm. the 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 was forgotten. You know, so tell me about how you uh, how you take ideas and how you translate them into into your work. I think that, like, you were touching upon that, like Tchaikovsky and Hyde and the mm-hmm. same thing, they talk about that, that, you know, you have to be, you have to sit in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't kind of, doesn't, the, the muse doesn't come and then you go off and write it. It's like right. you have to be in that. So I suppose that's, that, that's how I start. I create a space of mm-hmm. has to be quiet. Um, yeah, it's your creative space. Mm-hmm. You ha- I think your creative space is super, super important. Right. That somewhere you feel comfortable um, that you feel that you can really, f- for me, it's like I have to feel things. So I would sit there. It depends. Like um, like some pieces I'll sit in front of my piano, my upright piano, and I will just sit there and I'll just play. And and after a while something just comes. Mm-hmm. And I call it like it's like, you know, if you've got bad eyesight. And then after a while 
you get glasses that become sharper and sharper and sharper. Yeah. And that's how it, it's like, it's a bit blurry. Everything's a bit blurry. And all of a sudden it slowly comes into focus. Right. And that's what I wonder if like the muse or it's like the music is out there floating, the notes are floating and all of a sudden mm. they, they drop almost one right. by one mm-hmm. and then they order themselves and all of a sudden it's just finished. And I think that's the, that's a funny feeling and I don't know what that is, but you just know when something's finished, it's mm-hmm. complete and you just, you don't want to touch it anymore. Yeah. You I, let think, it go. I think, yeah, I think it becomes when you begin to make it worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start messing with yeah, it too much. It's, it's, it's getting, it's getting progressively worse. So I'm going to yeah. stop now. <laughs> and I think we have this real thing about complexity. It has to be smart. It has mm. to be complex and it has to be clever. And I think that's a real, and for me, that was a real challenge yeah. as well. Coming from the classical training and the avant-garde, you know, in my master's was very avant-garde, very, I'd call academic music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trying to move away from that took a long time to be like, you know what, simple is okay. Mm. You know, sometimes you'll get an idea first go and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You almost feel guilty that you got your first awesome melody the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like that shouldn't happen. I should be like sweating yeah, for yeah. hours Earn over it. this, earning it. I think that was the Conrad phrase, go with your, your first bad idea, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It, there is some merit in, in those types of ways of thinking about it. I mean, it gets it gets you away from the sense of I can do better. Um, when, when yeah, yes. there's this idea that I yeah. that I can I can do better than than what I've done. Or I and, should do better. There's that yeah. word of should. I yeah. should I should do better. You know. But that's yeah. it's something that it definitely it definitely gets to me as well. I, I'm always thinking that this the the simplicity of it means that it's not good. There's mm-hmm. some sort of intrinsic link there that's it's obviously false, but you know nonetheless it exists because I think we as composers generally want to be considered to be more musically engaged or more mm. musically uh you know more musically competent than mm. than you know people who might be considered songwriters or something that is outside of a composer yeah. and you know so that you inherently need complexity for that to be to be true i, I don't know if that if that's a thought that's it's half baked, possibly is, but I guess it, there's something there that we, using the word composer as opposed to any other defining term like songwriter or musician or performer. Or the word composer has baggage attached to it, you know, because of mm-hmm. those who have also used the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have all been more or less extremely complex. <laughs> Um, yes. except for like the minimalists <laughs> yeah. when there's complexity in there as well. There but, is. <laughs> um, so tell me about, you, you get the idea and you, you have a, a structure and a framework. Mm-hmm. How do you go about realizing it? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you go to the page? Do you go to mm-hmm. the Sibelius? Do you go to the doll? What, what, where do you work there? Well, for, I'll start with concert music, because mm. that's my, my world, my original world was okay. concert music. So um, with concert music, usually it's a concept, like I have some sort of concept or, st- you know, I think I am very story-driven, mm. concept, mood. So I have, and obviously with concert music, I have a brief. This is your instrumentation. Mm-hmm. This is how long it kind of needs to be. This is the space it's going to be performed. So I usually have like a text or an idea or a story or a feeling and then I would actually, I'm quite visual, so I'll get a big thing of paper, stick it on the wall, mm. and I will start to section things out. Like, 
you know, uh, the intro, maybe this section, section A, section B, then there's going to be variation. And then I draw big boxes and colours and mm. and within um, the boxes I would put ideas of like um, influences like, you know, I like this part from, you know, Johan Johansson's mm. piece or, you know, the artic- I'm going to use these sorts of articulations with this instrumentation. So I try and plan. I think planning for me is really important because then if I just start writing, I, I get lost, you know, mm. I almost, I feel like I need a trajectory, right. but sort of boundaries, but within, you know, some, there's something good about some sort of limitations or boundaries that mm. you, you place upon yourself. So therefore, you know where you're going and you feel more secure within it. Right. Um, and it also helps for me not to get that creative writer's block of like, I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's which is terrifying. Yeah. Whereas at least you've got some sort of roadmap to follow. And even influences and things like that. And then I will start to, then I will sit at a piano <clears throat> and then write my main mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go from there and I'll say, okay, this is the main theme in this part. And then I'm going to extend it. And then I might actually lengthen it here, change the note values here. And mm-hmm. um, so that, and then I go into the door. So right. that's how I'll start. So how much would you um, adhere to established structures and established compositional um, techniques and practices. So would you say, like you mentioned like A sections and Joe's B sections, these kind of not necessarily, uh, they're they're, they're very basic structures. I mean, it's not like you're talking about kind of like how long the section is. You're just saying that this is going to be the A section and B is going to be separate and distinct from the A. but how much of your writing is is intuitive and how much of it is is kind of methodical in terms of like if you were listening to a, a classical piece of music, you can see the the sonata form structure, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like you've got this A subject and that's in the tonic and then you've got the B subject and that's in the dominant. dominant. And, mm-hmm. and then you, you can see how they would have... They would have followed that, but not not always. They would have undermined it, and they would have broken it, and they would have kind of disregarded it, and things like that. But more more than likely, they were following an established structure of the time because it was expected. Basically, the way a songwriter would today. I mean, it'd be strange if a songwriter didn't adhere to the song structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how how much do you let that govern your work, and how much do you let the work just kind of materialize as it as it would do, mm-hmm. regardless? I think for, <clears throat> for um, again, concert music, I, um, I use it just as a roadmap, a guide, because mm. intuition always trumps everything. Mm-hmm. It has to, it's a feeling. It just, the, the whole, you know, saying it just feels right mm-hmm. and feels finished. Um, sometimes I will go through that thing of, you know, it should be in the dominant, you mm-hmm. know, let's say you're going mm-hmm. from tonic to, you know, oh, I really, I really want to do this. I want to, and you try and force it. It's for, I've definitely yeah. tried to force and again, trying to be a little bit clever, go, no, 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 that's too easy. That's too mm. simple. I want to be a little bit more complex. I'm going to, you know, modulate to this crazy key. Yeah. Um, and I would try and push it and then I'll probably spend half a day trying to do that. And then I'd be like, you know what? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> go back. So, and it is, it's like that first idea. It is mm. funny how a lot of the time you do end up to your first idea or yeah. a variant yeah. of it as well. But see, that's concert music. And I'm, I suppose... With film music, it's different because you are serving the picture mm-hmm. and the narrative. So that's what governs that. Yeah. You know, so in the end, for me, I do have to, f- not have to, but you kind of need to follow what's going on right. on screen. Obviously, 
you know, what you do internally in the internal elements of the music is up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a structure, yeah, definitely yeah. the visuals would actually govern that. Yeah. Also, I think you're limited by the expectations of the director as well. Totally. So you're, you're not yeah. really free to do as you please. Um, yes. You have to kind of, if you want to do something, then you have to be clever about it because it might intrude uh, mm-hmm. Or it might it might offend the the director. He might not be expecting a particular instrument or a particular register, and he might that might stand out, and he or she might not like it. But mm-hmm. they don't know why they don't like it. Whereas if it was a concert piece, you're free to do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, the film world is definitely uh, distinct and separate, and that's why uh, you know we live in a world where themes don't really exist anymore in in film music, or if they do, they're very short and snappy Ma- you know motivic rather than yeah phrase you yeah know, yeah, phrase, no, yeah there's no big long lines even even john williams hasn't mm-hmm. written a really long line in, in a long time yeah um you know but but tell how, how do you think about writing for film do you do you think about the story overall and how you would want your music to carry through over the course of the movie mm. or would you do it selectively as little vignettes like little small fragments that work independently and then work in you know in concert with the, the larger picture mm. how, how do you think about writing for film in that kind of context um, well, definitely, the it, it, it's a feeling. It's emo- mm. I think emotion is number one for film. It's it's conveying, communicating the emotion of the the actual space mm-hmm. or the character or the storyline. So you're kind of choosing which emotion do I want to communicate? Is it what they're feeling internally, mm-hmm. or what the space is? So, I, actually, from the very beginning, obviously, I you know look at the film and get a feeling of the tempo and things like that. But the first thing I do is sound palette. Mm. It's like, what is the sound palette of this film? Because if you stick to the same sound palette, which I feel you should throughout mm-hmm. the whole film, then there's a lot more movement that you can have within it and mm-hmm. it will always sound connected. Mm. Whereas you change instrumentation too much at the film, it will feel disconnected. Right. So I think I'm like, what is the sound of this film? What's the texture? What's the sonic sonic and acoustic space? So, mm-hmm. the, And then that could be instrumentation, but it's usually also... You know, what's the, the pad, mm-hmm. you know, what's the pad, the texture of the sound? Mm-hmm. That's where I would start first. And then then you talk about melodies and motivic material. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think sound palette is number one because I have seen movies before and I'm like, oh, I love that, what they did for the first half and that was great. And then all of a sudden there was this cue that just seemed to come from nowhere and mm-hmm. it's, it wasn't and it wasn't what the actual content was. It was the palette and the instrumental yeah. choices, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So sound palette, then it would be what is the theme, If mm-hmm. you, but very short theme. Theme could be just one note. Mm-hmm. It could be a sound. So it could be what is the defining sound for this person mm-hmm. or for maybe this concept throughout the film and then trying to weave it throughout, but varying it. Mm-hmm. moving it around, how am I going to move it around, where am I going to move it around, um, and where am I going to use it as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's interesting, um, you know, speaking to other people, you, you mentioned that it might just be one note, and oftentimes mm-hmm. it really is one mm-hmm. note, and yeah. it, it's it's not one note, it's more of a drone, you know, it's like, yes. but that would be one note. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so there's these sort of like, you know, 
Hans Zimmer would do that quite frequently. You'd have these sort of like, and it, it would be evocative of a mood for sure. It would be yeah. just painting by tones almost, you know. Yes. And there, 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 there's people who do have mixed feelings about that. I, I would be one of them. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. I think in the movie it works, mm. but it only lives there. It, it very much is, yes. it, it struggles to survive outside, outside of that, you know. Tell me about mm-hmm. your kind of, um, your process of working. So would you go straight into, uh, when you have your idea and you have your structure and you have everything worked out, would you take it to notes or would you take it to the DAW? It, it would depend on, so for example, I'm working on um, a Brazilian short film at the moment. Mm-hmm. And for that, I know that that's going to be, you just, just looking at the film, I'm like, this is not a samples film. This is live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just live. It's too, it's n- not that it's an experimental film, but it's that real mm-hmm. Brazilian, European kind of film that you, you know, you, you just can't, you have to use live instruments. So if it's that, then I'd go straight into finale. Right. I would actually just write a score mm-hmm. from in finale. Um, the danger of always working in samples is you lose your imagination. You lose your – you get stuck on, okay, I'm going to write this because this is what I can sound – that sounds mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. for samples. Mm-hmm. So that's a great thing about finale, you know, writing straight into a notation program is I can hear it in my head. Mm-hmm. And although I can't produce it with a sample, I can hear it and I can write it and I know a player can mm-hmm. play it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's one part I really enjoy and I kind of miss in the door. And I think a lot of composers would, would say that. So if it's like that, I would just go straight into finale. Right. Imagine it in my head and just make sure that, um, you know, it fits to picture. And I always have this thing, gosh, if it sounds remotely nice in finale, it's going to sound awesome with life. Yeah. <laughs> life. So you can yeah. make it sound okay in finale. That's great. And mm-hmm. it works. So that's, that's how it would work that way. Um, and then... For other films that I know either going to be hybrid or if they're going to be more pretty much sample-based, then I go straight to the door mm-hmm. because there's not yeah. point really is there. Um, so I would work because I know that, well, I have to make my samples good, mm-hmm. sound good, so I'm going to work with them right? So you're, you're as an the, instrument. Yeah, so you're you functioning know? in the role of producer and composer yeah. simultaneously there, yeah. right? Mm. Because you cannot, well, you know, you can't, certain things you just can't make sound well right. in a so so I see that you know what I see samples as a different instrument. Mm. You know, it's like its own a sample based score is its own instrument, its own limitations, right. expressions, and then the real instrumentation, acoustic, that's a, a separate thing. Yeah. So yes, you think okay, I'm writing for cello, I do have to think I still think like, you know, what are the sounds of the cello? What are the limitations? What, are the, what what's the register? How does it double well with mm-hmm. double you know, double bass, that sort of thing. So you still think like an orchestrator but it's just slightly different. Mm-hmm. So I would start in there. And then if I do have some live, you know, I wouldn't put the live. So usually with a hybrid, um, it'd be mostly like a very small group that I'd get, like two or three players who would either play with the samples to give them a bit more life mm-hmm. or do solo parts. Um, and so I would just export the, the MIDI and then put that into Finale and actually write, the, right. you know, fix it up for them mm-hmm. for the live situation. Um, and also I'd like to then work, work in the door because I like to get that sounding really good so when they come in to record their parts mm-hmm. that it sounds really good and it's going to mix straight away. Right. So they are playing to it as well. Mm-hmm. So that's how it would, yeah, that's how right. it would work. Okay, that, that, that's great. And how do you deal with, because this is something I've been working on recently, is trying to 
combat samples and grid-based writing in, in the DAW with trying to bring that element of the natural <laughs> yeah. fluctuation in tempo. Uh, Logic DAWs have a, a beat mapping function, but you need a reference for that. Mm. So um, something that I've been doing is I've been trying to replicate orchestral uh, performances of, of pieces. Mm. So I would take a, a recording that I like and I would import it in and then I would tempo map the the, the project to to the to the to the recording. So the, it, you're not you're never gonna get exactly it right, but you're gonna get some sort of movement in there that's that's outside. But I know some people are like don't quantize everything and mm. you can achieve it that way. Mm. But I find it, it gets a bit messy uh, because yeah. if the samples have a, have a, like a, a pre-delay on them or if there's if they're not exactly, like if you hit the key and they don't strike exactly right, then you're going to find that that's going to not align with the other samples that you're running. So h how do you deal or how do you bring that sort of natural flux and tempo Mm -hmm. uh, to your music to, to give it obviously having the players play live gives it the sense of yeah. life but uh, you don't always have a budget so how do you mm -hmm. kind of navigate that space I try and I always play in right everything okay. mm -hmm. I play it in myself and I practice I actually mm -hmm. do it a few times um, you know you can just have it looping and mm -hmm. then you, it picks you know pick the best take um, I play it in because that at least gives a bit of the naturalness. Mm -hmm. um, and then I will listen back to the, you know, I play with click obviously. Um, and then I listen back with the click and I tweak it. Mm -hmm. And I, I do, I, I try and avoid quantization. Mm -hmm. Only, I really only use quantization for very rhythmic, like fast, mm -hmm. like kind of, you know, really like triplet, fast triplets or right. anything like that, like marcato or spiccato strings mm -hmm. that do need to be bang on. Um, but then I actually, if I, even if I quantize, say, the really fast rhythmic sections, um, I would then just shift them a little bit, use the pre-delay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on each. So therefore, if you offset each MIDI note just a tad, and then obviously have layers, so yeah. I have different library spiccato layers mm -hmm. uh, layered on top of uh, each other of the same line, mm -hmm. and then just shift them a little bit forward, a little bit back. But I keep the velocities that I played in myself right unless there's some really notes that really jump out then mm -hmm. i would bring them down and that seems to help that seems to yeah. so it's not so the velocities then aren't the same and then you know they're not all on top of each other all the right. midi notes and yeah. would, would you mess with with the tempo line or would you just keep the tempo the same i take i keep it the same yeah yeah i keep it the same because i'm playing with it yeah so, so there's gonna be variation anyway yeah bit. yeah i suppose it's just what how you achieve that best so for me in terms of like getting the rits and rowels, like if oh, you if you're getting yeah. little kind of, you know, you can get the the curves, so you're you're getting this sort of natural retardando that's happening there, and then you can bring it back up and. I do it myself actually. Yeah, I don't use you click. Play it in. I play. I just would just turn off click for that, and I play mm -hmm. the writ myself, and then I have one line that I've played that I play everything else to. Mm -hmm. So I create my own. Tempo map. Yeah, Just you, with the notes and, mm -hmm. and then I follow that. For any of that kind of really expressive rubato stuff, mm -hmm. yeah, I wouldn't use clean Yeah, because you, you definitely feel the, it's such a big difference when when, yeah, really when you is. have that, that sort of like free time feel to it. You mm -hmm. know, uh, 
to the hu- humanness. Yeah, mm. I think I think trailers are largely quantized. Uh, yeah. they seem to be fairly snapped to yeah. the grid. Um, I was speaking to a couple of people that that are trailer guys, and they were saying, "Yeah, we really don't." I think it's because of the the turnaround time. They they just they just there's no time. Mm. Just yeah, they just put it in and, and produce it and as best they can. And it's sna- it is a snappy trailers yeah. visually are very snappy too, you know, they they're right. sharp cuts. Edits, and, yeah. edits. And so when the music's like that, it kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. it would work together. I mean not obviously would this is just general generalizing trailers. There are mm-hmm. different trailers mm-hmm. as well. Um but yeah. there is a place look, I think there is a place for quantization and if I always use the um humanize mm-hmm. function. There's definitely you need it for and if it's and then another Another thing to be aware of is when you have, if, you, if you've got a lot of sort of percussive uh, lines and rhythmic string lines, for when you, I usually do two versions, like an alternate version for when we do a recording session with live players and the alternate version, it's quant- hard quantized mm-hmm. because they, they don't want to, they need to hear right. the beat, mm-hmm. but hard quantization doesn't sound good for samples but it helps them play and yeah. then I revert back to the other mm-hmm. other version I have that's not as hard quantized. Right. But so for the recording session I do hard quantized percussion and rhythmic elements. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how how complex it gets to achieve what the ear is so accustomed to mm. to ha- to having, you know, uh, and the the nuances that are needed to to create believability or realism you know yeah um it really is it's, it's time consuming <laughs> yeah i mean i mean it's like it's like a painter or or, or another f- medium trying to capture that realism and depth and and you know you're trying to get the lighting right and mm-hmm. you know if, if you're a, if you're a photographer or a, a dop you know somebody and that's you know you're like ah oh, we're trying to we're trying to articulate that that the, there's depth here and that's that's essentially what you're trying to achieve with the orchestra, you're trying to create the sense of, of more than one person playing yeah. it, and you know, and, and these people are listening to each other, and they're responding to each other, and you know that there's that there's gonna be those small discrepancies in 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 the the timings and the attacks, and and all exactly. that stuff is lost when you're when you're just sticking rigidly to the to the quantization you know it's a good place to start if you're not capable of playing it in Mm -hmm. but then always make sure that you're definitely kind of going to offset it or tweak it in some way that brings that life to it especially Mm -hmm. anything like sforzando there's Mm -hmm. a big thing of you know with sforzando you just say if you have a a tutti Mm -hmm. sforzando chord spread across the orchestra like you know it's so tempting to be like boom it has to be right on the click the trick is you just shift everything Mm -hmm. off you know, off the center and they all come in, you know, a fraction of a second either yeah. before or after and some on the actual beat. And that just sounds so much more yeah, real, real mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, no human, humans are not going to hit that right on, yeah, you know, yeah. on the downbeat. You, you know, know uh, there, there's some, there's some sort of dividing line. I find it, it really depends on what, what language or what school you're trying to speak. Cause you know, you get, you do get the, electronic guys like like the junkie xls mm. and your uh bear mccreary's and these types of guys that are i i don't think that i've heard anything that uh, that has not been quantized really hard you know there, there's there's some just basic string passages and stuff but when they're doing the because they're they're it's almost like a rock track mm-hmm. it's like an orchestral rock <laughs> track because they've got the big huge drums like the, the kits and stuff in there and they seem to be all fairly 
fairly tight. tight you know I'm thinking of like you know the Mad Max score or yeah, you know that that, really that type tight. of stuff mm-hmm. because it's so percussive and it's so uh, energetic that you know it, it would just I think it might be just a logistical problem to try and get that all also the sessions are probably done separately so everybody's listening to you know, so it's like a it's like a process, like a like a manufacturing process where it's just going down the line. Yes. So it has to always move uh, on the same sort of conveyor belt. Everyone has to be going. Okay, so we're going to take the, the the percussion, and then we're going to layer on top of the percussion. So we have to be right on mm-hmm. there. So it's just interesting that that um, you can be on the nose about things a lot too. I mean, you can hit things on the on the screen that are you know kind of. Uh, shouldn't have really been hit. Like, uh, yeah, is it can, too soon sometimes? Yeah, because there's this saying that, like, you know, not saying, but I was always taught better late. Yeah, always better late. Mm-hmm. If you're early, it really feels wrong. Whereas the brain seems to be able to say, if you're just after the event, mm-hmm. your brain can actually put it together as one event. Whereas right. if it's before the sound is before, hit um, them later. And yeah. but you're you're right. Like definitely no in films these days. It's it's an, a very nuanced, subtle nod, but it could be again just something of like just a shift in texture. Yeah. As, as simple as that. I think that's where it is today. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the flourishes, the John William fl- flourishes or yeah. de- decorations. We don't really do that yeah. anymore. And, um, unless, it, like you said, it's animation or certain mm-hmm. genre. But um, Also, you're fighting so much with effects these days, I know. Yeah. The effects actually, t- they've taken over a lot of the yeah. hit points. We don't, and, yep, sound design mm-hmm. um, is a huge, I mean, they, you could really argue the thing of, I mean, I worked on a film recently where, you know, I wrote a score that had, you know, that, you know, I was talking earlier about processing sound. Mm-hmm. So I got a whole bunch of sounds from the cello, like even knocking on it, scratching mm-hmm. it, um, you know, hitting a string or detuning a string and then recording it and processing it. And that was the bed that mm-hmm. I was playing over with an actual solo cello. Um, but it was really interesting how the sound designer, uh, Robin Sherry Wood and myself worked and it really blended well, whereas some of the sounds that I had as a bed to my music then went straight into the sound design. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't almost tell the difference. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's where we're going, this yeah. real collaborative blending of the two yeah. worlds. You, you mentioned Johan Johansson before, mm. you know. He's very much like, yeah, yeah who was. Who was, yeah. Yeah. But, so. uh, yeah, I mean, his scores, it's almost impossible to tell where the music begins and where the sound design ends and, and vice versa. It's, you know, they're yeah. so intrinsically linked. Um, Actually, I saw a movie recently. Have you seen it? Mandy? No, the, the Nick Cage one? No, yeah. I haven't seen it. I, yeah. I heard it's great. Oh, it's 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 not for the faint-hearted, right. so you brace yourself, but geez. It's, it's his last score, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's that film very much is like that. It's like the, the, the line between sound design, mm. soundscape and music. Mm-hmm. Is quite blurred, but it but it works. Yeah, because he, he was supposed to do um, Blade Runner. That's and then, right. And then he got kicked off. Hands. I would love to have seen what he what he what he would have done. With and he that. had a mother that mm-hmm. he, that didn't work out either. Right, um, mother the, the the Darren Aronofsky one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but he did. Uh, I think he was down as like a sort of super music supervisor or something like that. So he mm-hmm. did. Um, supervise the actual sound because it was like very Super, sound design yeah, heavy yeah. um so and some people said it was great some people said it was too much i guess it's yeah it's, it was but you know that was a brave thing to do and something different yeah 
I mean, so. I mean, it really, the uh, uh, my feeling is that is that there's basically two modes of thought, uh, you know, and sometimes that the modes of thought cross over, and it really, it really, it, because of the film, the nature of film, it, it's does it work to the picture, you know, and, it, and exactly. it's something like Blade Runner or, you know, Alien or something like that, you know, the sound design and the music really does work, you know, super efficiently, but if you have then, you know. Uh, a period piece like Lincoln or you know a uh, Phantom Thread, you know the the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, and you're and you're doing you know crazy synthesis stuff with you know a guy that's you know a uh, fashion designer, <laughs> you know making dresses. It, it doesn't quite articulate the 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 period or the time. And you know if you're Quentin Tarantino, that might be exactly what you're going for. But if yeah. you're looking for that to take the audience to that period, mm. you know then you really want to to evoke. That, of that, that, time. that time yeah or or close to that time you know you might want to modernize it in a, in a way but um definitely you want to be using the instruments or uh, 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 instruments that the audience would expect so you know if you're if you're like westworld might be a really good example mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen westworld yes. but again ramin jawadi he he has that sort of because it's automation and it's artificial intelligence and it's this sort of super modern world like a world that's beyond the world that we have today but it's set in a period that's in history Mm. you've got this kind of like jarring uh clash between the the two opposing forces and that seems to work out really well um but it's done very very subtly you know Mm. the 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 interjections are always sort of very very tastefully handled and it's largely done on that player piano the upright player piano that that runs through um, and then if you're something like, you know, like Blade Runner uh, or, or Arrival, the, the Johan Johansson score, Beautiful. you know, mm. the, it really is appropriate there too, you know, so it really depends on, on what is required by the by the narrative, I think. There's one example there, as you were talking there, yeah, I don't know if you know The Nick. It's the a, Nick, yeah, I've seen, I've seen clips of it, but not, not the full thing. See, Martinez does mm-hmm. the music for that, and that's a, a period piece. Um, but it's all electronic music, mm-hmm. which is just, when I first saw it, I was like, this is wild. This mm-hmm. is just like pure electronic and yet it's a period mm-hmm. piece. But like you said, it, I, I know for some people it didn't work, but for me it really worked because yeah. of that, because it's about, you know, basically a doctor who's addicted to, to drugs and yeah. morphine and things, opioids. So, you know, you kind of think that's a kind of modern even though yeah. we think it's a modern thing yes it was a part of drug, drug addiction was a problem before but we see it as a real modern problem mm-hmm. and i wonder if bringing the electronic right side brings that together yeah so because that that was quite a brave yeah i mean score, it, i think yeah it seems to be a, a trend i'm thinking of you know the the, the guy richie sherlock holmes gone by Hans yeah. Zimmer. you know it's set in the 1800s and you know you see guys running around in horse and cart but you know, he's yeah, got yeah. these crazy guitars or whatever <laughs> he's got going on in there, electric guitars and stuff. And, you know, so it, it really, it really, I think you have to set it, set the, the premise. And it goes back to what you said before about continuity, you know, you set stick, the, stick with that palette. Yeah, if yeah. the palette is the yeah. palette, then the audience will accept it. And if, yes. but if the palette begins in a, in a certain way and then changes unexpectedly and you haven't really prepared them for it. Then there's going to be some sort of uh, some sort of friction there yeah. that doesn't quite doesn't quite disparity gel well. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder by using like such a contemporary sound in, you know, say period 
narratives like that mm-hmm. and then you then you have be, and then you have that real clear distinction between diegetic and non-diegetic yeah so really the non-diegetic really is very in its own space mm-hmm. so i wonder if it's like space as well creating different spaces by having a huge disparity whereas there's other films i'm thinking is it um uh autumn rush Autumn Rush with uh, Jonathan Rhys-Meyers, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. August Rush. August Rush, yeah, yeah. Like that uses a lot of diegetic sounds Mm -hmm. from the Mm -hmm. actual script, the actual visuals, Mm -hmm. which blend and become a non-diegetic. Right. Whereas so that space is very close together. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, about space as well, going on about space, I think that's an interesting, acoustic space is an interesting thing that... Mm -hmm we as composers need to think about and I think people are starting to think about more. Yeah. I mean, especially with the this kind of next generation. Well, not not really next generation, but it, it, this kind of like Atmos DTSX sort of mm. um, three-dimensional sound where yeah. you have, you know, speakers on the roof of, of yes, cinemas. Yes, you, and, above you. And, and, you know, you can pass sound through the room mm. with with really, really accurate precision like I, I've been to some um, demonstrations of like, you know, it seems to work mostly for sound effects and I haven't really seen any composers taking full advantage of it yet. I think Johan Johansson probably would have. Mm. But, you know, uh, you, you can get this feeling of, of objects and, and that's what that's what they're known as, objects passing passing by as you sit in in the space in the room. You know the the sound designer and the the engineers and the the mixing engineers have the ability to pass objects through you. So you know, thinking about it compositionally, you might want um, you know, say you were doing, say you had a choir, for example. You know, traditionally the orchestra is is in the pit. You know, because it comes from the 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 period of you know the stage and and, and yes. opera and the music and the the music is kind of this supportive yeah moment. but it, it kind of comes from this other world mm. unless unless it mm. is diegetic you know when we can see the the musicians on on stage but it, it, it's not to be seen you know it's in the pit you're not you're not to see where the music comes from it it comes from this other place um you know but having the choir you know that that's sort of like the voice of god or whatever you know you can have that choir hover yeah. above you Yes. Um, you know, so as you're in the audience, um, you know, it might just be one example of how it could be used. But, you know, you can take the music away from that flat, that yeah. flat space. You know, yeah. The flat. Yeah. The, the, the kind of the, the flat um, dimension canvas, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, as, it, as it's been because it always the music generally even in 5.1, it, it's generally flat to the canvas. Um, you know, especially if you're if you're diving in, and I know you've kind of had some experience in the space uh, of games and three uh, D and 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 VR and this mm. type of stuff. You know, there's real application there for for innovation because mm. you know I think uh, just finishing that 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 thought of of composers uh, and directors choosing to juxtapose period pieces with modern scores. I think it's also dictated by the by the stylistic nature of the composer or the voice yes. of the composer, you know, it's very unlikely that Hans Zimmer's going to do something that's not Hans Zimmer. You know, <laughs> even his Dunkirk score, a period piece again, was very much, it was, it, it wasn't classic Zimmer, but it was, it was just very, yeah, there's a good, 
good example of sound design, mm. music, soundscape yeah. pff, coming yeah. together. That was all done uh, with the, the shepherd tone. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah. the governance structure for that was cool. But, but I mean, it, it breaks into... Elgar at the end, you know, so it, it's, you know, it's, it is it's all. Very, it's very, it, I have to say, you know, it's really creative. And mm-hmm. that's what I kind of think of us as composers. We are creatives because, you know, well, for me, I'm thinking, you know, as composers, we are, it's extending, expanding. Our world right. of sound is expanding mm-hmm. and including things like sound design elements or like spatialization mm-hmm. and rever- reverberation and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's like we are thinking outside of that traditional you yeah. know, manuscript in front of you uh, approach to music now. Yeah, it's it's also trying to, um, you know, do something or, or, or create sounds. You know, you said at the beginning that you were that you were kind of interested in, in actual the the nuance of, mm. of sound and, and, and reinterpreting instruments, old instruments and, and you know, manipulating them to, to get a new sound from that original source instrument. Mm-hmm. As, as, as innovators, as, as people always seeking that next, uh, that next interesting thing, I think we are, we are resigned to uh, experimenting with sound and technology now and that seems yeah. to be unavoidable. Um, so talk to me mm-hmm. about your experience in, because I think one of the one of the best mediums through which this is done is games. Mm. Uh, I think it's one of the most kind of openly free creative spaces that composers are less limited by the formats of of film. You know, there is a narrative in games, and games are like huge big films now, but they're like films that we live in and inhabit, and we can make decisions that affect the outcome. Mm-hmm. sometimes uh, with games you know there might be multiple endings should you choose to go left or right and so speak to me about how games and how, how music for games is is uh is a real avenue for for people to explore new and innovative sounds mm. i think gaming is really exciting to be working in because it's like it is, it's non, for me, I love it because it's non-linear. Mm-hmm. It's, and I kind of, I mean, I've worked a lot in augmented reality. Um, yeah, just very much like that. For me, I see the, the person who's experiencing, and I call it like, if it's a game, it's an experience, really a game is an experience mm-hmm. and it can be in different spaces. It can be in a real world space, in a VR space, in your, mm-hmm. on your iPad, in your living room. So after a while, I almost see that the player or the user or the person experiencing it becomes almost like a co-composer mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. especially in augmented reality, when, so I would compose, so with my, um, it's with Haunted Planet Studios, we have done about five or six um, augmented reality apps that are based in real, real world locations. So it's, some of them are gaming, some of them are serious games. I just finished a serious game and for that, especially when you work, for that, it's like we're talking about, again, acoustic space. And with augmented reality gaming, it's it's like the space dictates the, mm-hmm. the sound, the choice of sound, with what what they're going to choose, what they're going to see. That's the canvas. The visual can, canvas is the real space. Mm-hmm. So cutting up a piece of music into smaller segments, it's more of an indeterminate approach. I'm thinking of a chance approach, like cage. Right. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the idea of having all these bits, but then when that person, with their choices, these different bits play out mm-hmm. and they become a whole piece together. 
And I think it's kind of exciting because they become a co-creator in this experience. And mm -hmm. every time they experience that game or that app, it's going to be their own uni unique experience. Right. So we're still composers in that because we, we are the designers of the whole framework of this experience. Mm -hmm. So we obviously are creating parameters or boundaries, choices that when they come together mm -hmm. mean something. So I think that would be my approach of seeing... Yeah, it's a huge, it's a design. It's like being a designer. You're composing, yeah. but you're being a, a designer of a huge framework that has to work together mm -hmm. with their choices, with where they're at, and to reflect the space and mm -hmm. the mood of the game space as well. Right. So it's challenging. And, and this is a thing of, you know, we have, I think as composers, especially if you want to get into gaming or any of those mediums, and even, but still even film's going a bit that way now. Who yeah. knows in the future, VR film. We are at the cusp of yeah. huge, yeah, huge a, changes. There's a revolution there. Absolutely. And yeah, for sure. it's going to become so immersive that there's going to come a time that we, there is no difference between mm. almost the real world and yeah. the film world, you know? I don't, have you seen uh, Ready Player One? The you know, Spielberg I haven't movie? seen it yet. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that idea of, of living in a world that is indistinguishable from mm. your world except for the you know the things that don't exist in your world you know if you're shooting monsters or flying uh, without the aid of technology you know whatever it might be but you know if you put on a headset and you're looking at a room that's identical to the room that you were previously sitting in yeah you know that that's it's, a scary it's thought a scary thing <laughs> you know but it's also scary if the sound space that you're sitting in is also identical to the space that you were sitting in mm -hmm. you know because if you were if you were sitting with the headphones on and 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 the the the, the mask on the, the goggles on and the, the sound world that you're listening to is you know uh you know you're at niagara falls whatever but the this the visual stimuli is is not niagara falls then you your, your brain's still telling you that you're in a game that you're in a you're in a, a situation that is fictional mm -hmm. like a movie theater you know and um, it, it goes into this idea of flow, you know, of, of, yes. of, of creating a sense of flow. That's, that's, and, yeah. And that's that's the optimal, right? That's the optimal experiential sense of, 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 of being immersed in the game so much so that you you forget about your actual location. <laughs> and if and if the location is indistinguishable from from reality, then that flow is 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 only going to increase, right? Um, but it, how you can manipulate the sound world there is something that, that is really really interesting and really engaging. Well, I think definitely, you know, the, I think Samuel Coleridge calls it. I think he coined the term um, the ses the suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. That's what we aim for to mm -hmm. to, and that that's when they get into, we get into flow the suspension mm -hmm. of disbelief of that space. And I was thinking as you're talking there, there's a real kind of, not dichotomy, but there's the two areas. It's like realism versus surrealism. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, that sound artists have been, we've learned a lot, yeah. whether we know it or not, from sound artists mm -hmm. who for years have been creating installation spaces yeah. where you have either very, uh, you're just really, what do you call it, realism, mm -hmm. of realism, or of actually just putting like, say, jungle sounds mm -hmm. into a museum space. Christina Kubisch does yeah. a bit of that and Jennifer Carter of like did his, uh, this installation where it was the Salisbury Cathedral Choir mm -hmm. singing um, one of Talis's pieces in, it's a 40-piece motet 
Um, so it's like, yeah, what, what and yeah. that's, we have to, I suppose that depends on the narrative of what are we trying to do? do are we trying to suspend um, disbelief so they get totally immersed yeah. where they are? Or do we want to place them in a different world? Yeah. And sound, sound and understanding of sound perception and the neurology mm-hmm. of sound perception is going to be, any any sort of becoming a huge yeah. important part of these mediums, gaming right. and film. Yeah. yeah. It also it also takes into consideration the idea of, of, of you know, by locality, is that, mm, is that the terminology? Yeah. You know, this idea that um, if you're watching The Lion King in Dublin, for example, you know, you could be sitting in Dublin and know full well that you're sitting in Dublin, mm. but you hear that opening call uh, from Lab OM and you see that sunrise on the Serengeti, even if it is animated, yes, you are You're immediately <laughs> in 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 that plains of Africa, you know, and um, whether you, whether you say, I ah, know, but I'm not, you know, I, yeah. I know that I'm not, but for for a moment, for a fraction of a moment, you you may as well be there because it's so effective in in how they've mapped the the sound world to the visuals, and you know that it was just a a call, like you know, like a like a. I don't know why, like a tribal call or something that he says, um, you know, and, and before there's any instruments playing, before, you know, the pan flutes or the drums or whatever it is that and the chants come in, just with that human voice alone, you know, transport you, you know there. where you, you know where you are. You're not in mm. China. You're not in Brazil. You're not in America. You are in Africa at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's taking that a step further and, you know, I'm thinking about there's um you know this this kind of it's almost sound art installation as well like sound walks you That's, know um, yeah Hildegard Hildegard Vestacamp yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you know she she was great in 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 the eighties I think she was doing that stuff yes and, and even earlier I think yeah so. yeah they, you, you can put the headphones on yep. and she she'll take you on a walk somewhere and she'll point out things sonically you yes. know and she'll be like oh can you hear the the birds chirping over there and you might think to yourself no no I, don't, I can't hear them i say okay okay you can't hear them well let's let's zoom in closer and she'll take away the sound of the city and she'll she'll hone in on on the on the sound that she wants to draw your attention to yeah and that, that's a real experience for it's anyone amazing. that um for anyone that, that wants to check that piece out it's it's called um kit's beach sound walk uh, and I'll, I'll definitely, I, I, I would recommend that everyone check that out but it, i think for those to be effective you need to be wearing headphones, which yes. is uh, which is a compromise that people are going to have to make to get the full immersive experience. And then there's, you know, there, there's safety. <laughs> I mean, um, walking along yeah, on a busy road with headphones. Yeah, and, I mean, and I mean, are you going to have to be sitting for all of this? Is it still going to take place in the cinema? Except there being no screen, you just get a headset and headphones. And you know. And I know with uh, well, I know with the augmented reality stuff that I did, we which was based in real world locations, mm-hmm. the locations had to be picked very carefully. Mm-hmm. That um, it was within a space that didn't have busy roads that they had to cross. Right. Um, so we did actually have to take all these considerations mm-hmm. um, in into the whole design of the experience. Because right. yeah, people do get really really immersed, and that's something in the future that we'll have to yeah. for gaming that we'll have to think about. I think it'll be more augmented reality than, than, than virtual, virtual reality you know because augmented reality is that you're seeing what's in front of you but there are yes. things 
laid it, on, yeah, top. on top of it yeah. that you know so you're still getting oh there's a car right there or there's a person over there or you know there's a hole in the ground there that i shouldn't walk <laughs> into you know but all of a sudden there's a monster right over there yeah. you know what i mean so you're still living in in the world but you're the, the world is analogous to what's actually in front of you <laughs> as opposed to like you know i'm on mars and in everything's cool <laughs> <laughs> you know and i'm walking in and you know break on my tv or whatever but the the sound world is 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 going to be super interesting in terms of I think, I think it's the future yeah i think i just from all the the things i'm hearing mm -hmm. in in the research that's happening but also, and it's all entertainment industry stuff. It's mm -hmm. all going to be relevant to all of us. It's, it, but I said it's like emerging and on the cusp. But as as composers, very challenging for us. Yeah. Because now technology is an instrument. Mm -hmm. It is a creative tool, and I know for some composers, it's a, it's there's resistance, and it's and it's a huge learning curve. It is a huge learning curve. But I think things are changing now. You look mm -hmm. at all the courses that are coming out music technology is becoming yeah. a real part and it's not just midi sampling it is the whole thing of interactive audio mm -hmm. programming mm -hmm. you know scripting all that sort of stuff yeah. making samplers audio processing and even like i said before acoustic space spatialization the idea of using i mean i just finished a game and it was all binaural but yeah because um that is just uh, that's for realism yeah that was this was used for yeah realism. so you can simulate space sounds coming from behind yeah, you you're and on a busy passing street. by yeah yeah because we wanted to make it's based on the ipad which is very two-dimensional yeah. you know so but we wanted to make it immersive it had to be the ipad because of just ease of use that people mm -hmm. can just download it and have it anywhere we wanted initially for it to be a vr experience but people don't have no, not yet. Rift yet, not you know, yet, or no. HTC. You know, it's mm -hmm. just too. It's a bit of out of grasp of every yeah. every person. So, but this is where sound comes in, mm -hmm. and by making it binaural, but again, headphones. But this you could actually sit down and play it. Um, at least they can be sucked into this world, animated world. Right. When there's real, so we actually went out to. It was based in a Middle Eastern, a fictitious Middle Eastern country. So I actually had a team out in Lebanon wow. <laughs> with a binaural dummy yeah. head walking the streets, you know, of marketplaces and things like that. That's great. It was great fun, yeah. but it made such a difference. Yeah, of course. People in the canteen and then using binaural plugins to, I mean, some things you just have to simulate mm -hmm. the binaural sound. Uh, but with things moving from distances, it's mm -hmm. best to try and actually get yeah. the dummy head. So this is where we're all... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the whole thing is is depth, right? It's depth, it's depth. of field. That that's, yep. that's that's the key. That's another. Maurice used to talk about. It. I think he used to call it um, the fourth dimension right. of music in his poem Electronic. Back, like he was a visionary. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about, mm -hmm. was it? I think it was nineteen twenties, but complete right. visionary. He got it, and he was like depth. Mm -hmm. depth we've got you know the horizontal the vertical yeah you know it's i can't remember what else I said but you know it's now there's another dimension yeah. of composition and you know we forget that when we're composing for these spaces we have to think in these spaces mm -hmm. so think mm -hmm. of depth and mm -hmm. how we're going to that instrument how's that going to sound if we push it back right or yeah it's really interesting what's happening now so in the future or or the next five to ten years and what what we will be talking about then you know i think um synthesis will still be an extremely interesting um avenue because there's infinite possibilities of mm. new new and complex sounds 
Um, but I think we will see again, maybe a, like a concrete, like a, a music concrete type thing where you're yeah. getting this renaissance of, you know, real world sounds being blended in, you know, so because that's the space that everyone's going to be in. Exactly. You know, so you're always going to have this sort of presence of, of field recordings and mm. um, concrete sounds. You know, I think that's going to be, you might have a, a revival of Messian and and Pierre Schaffer <laughs> and all those guys again. You know, be everyone's gonna everyone's gonna be going back and reading the French sort of concrete and the, yeah. the Germans again. Yeah, uh, and saying ah, they they had it mapped yeah. in the sixties and you know even even before. Um, but that's that's a super interesting avenue, and you you also are. Um, you know, active in sort of academic worlds and, and, and you contribute to, um, you know, journals and these types mm, of things. Yes, so yeah. have you any sort of interesting research that's going on at the minute or is it just strictly composition or? Uh, a lot of the research that I did um, would be about perception. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there was one uh, paper and research project that I did with a colleague of mine, Gavin, Dr. Gavin Kearney, in York University. So we were trying to figure out, it's all about, because, you know, and as composers, it's like, what are we trying to do? We're trying to engage people mm-hmm. with the narrative, with the space, the visuals, the music, all that sort of thing, you know. We are trying to engage them through notes, through harmony, through melodic intervals, mm-hmm. timbre. But also, again, I go back to sort of spatial audio and reverberation. So one of the things my question was, was like, what is the the, the ultimate or the best uh, level of reverb that someone can engage to a sound source. Mm-hmm. Because if you have too much reverb, you need to know yourself it's muddy. Yeah, you hear it's washy, mo- yeah, washy yeah. and you, you're disengaged from the sound source. Sometimes if it's too close, it's, it's too dry. Mm-hmm. Then you're, it's too – the realism. The funny thing is about film, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but a lot of people would say, you know, with a really high-definition um, – you know, 7K, 4K, 5K, so, you know, the real mm. high-definition visuals, some people don't like it because it's too real. We actually right. want a little bit of, like I said, the surrealism because yeah. mm-hmm. that's cinema, isn't it? You don't Almost you don't want it to be too real because yeah. it's not cinema in some ways. Again, I think it comes back to the depth again. It really does. Yeah. You know, the more the more so pixels in the in the screen, the more close. the more depth you get. You yeah, know? <laughs> or if it's, it's too sharp. Color depth and everything, yeah. you know what I mean? The colors might be too vivid and... You know, so it does. Yes. It does feel a bit dis disengaging. I think the brain uh, gets a bit confused. Right, it's like what I, the I, vibrancy I, of the colors. Yeah. I mean, if you see like a planet Earth, you know the the David Attenborough documentary, you're like whoa, it's no plant looks like that. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's too real, and it's the same with you know realism of sound. And so we tried to find. So we did this huge, you know, you know, um, experimentation with with different sound sources, meaning like musical samples real world noises, v- voices, all sorts of stuff and got um, subjects to come in and, and tested different um, levels of early ref- – basically it was early reflections mm-hmm. in, you know, you've got the direct signal and you have your early reflections mm-hmm. and then late and then echo. So we found that f- the first early reflection to come in 20 milliseconds, mm-hmm. that was the – most engaging. People seem to feel like they were engaged with the space. So that was really interesting research to find mm-hmm. out, okay, so now I know if I want right. that, I'll put my early yeah. reflection in my uh, reverb to, door at 20 milliseconds. Did you try it with hardware and, and, and um, kind of the sample reverbs, like the plug-in reverbs versus hardware? We didn't just, actually know. It was no, just, a, just it was convolution reverb. Right, okay. We, we wanted to make it as... 
organic and mm-hmm. real as possible. So it was it was all convolution reverbs uh, set at different of the same. So it was the same convolution reverb of the same space, but just set mm-hmm. with different early reflection right. values. So if anyone wants to read it, there is a journal article about that. Very interesting. I'm sure um, you do have some sound designers that would be really yeah. <laughs> interested in that. Yeah. But but as a composer, I was like, that's awesome. I can yeah. use that on my orchestral samples right. and go, okay, if I want it to be, you know, engaging, then this maybe this solo yeah. to be engaging more than the other rest of the orchestra. It's um, interesting because you have you have these plugins like uh, VE Pro's Mirror. Mm. Yeah. And you have uh, that virtual it's, soundstage one. Yep. Um, and there's Altiverb. Altiverb, yeah. Mm. Um, and these these are are wonderful tools, but I I've had a lot of people that are reluctant to to adopt them because um, they think that the samples and the space that the samples were recorded in is enough. Um, so they would yes. never pan. They would never do additional panning. Mm. So they would leave everything centered. Because they would say, well, Spitfire or, um, you know, uh, Cinebrass or whoever it is have recorded the instrument in the space, in the, um, you know, whenever you're putting the instruments together, they'll put an overall reverb in so that mm. all the instruments are, are, are playing in the same. So if you're having something that was recorded in Abbey Road and you're having something that was recorded in, you know, um, the LASS stuff or whatever, uh, the, the Alfred Newman stage, wherever it is, um, you know, they're in different rooms, so I'm going to have to put them in the same room overall. But, you know, when they're when they're dealing with trying to replicate the orchestra in, in a sonic space, they, they leave it alone. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. Would you, would you do extra panning or would you... Because there's different levels of panning because you can pan in the in the mixer. Yes. Then you can pan in the sampler. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's like how much is... Where do, where do you kind of... Draw the where line. Do you, you know, how, how far left and right do you want to put it? <laughs> <laughs> that is a very tricky question. And it's something we have to be very careful of when we're doing, working in MIDI mm-hmm. is, um, so I would say it all depends how the sample was recorded. Mm. I mean, some can be very dry. Yeah. East West has got a lot of room. Yeah. Reverb. Um, how were they, is the, you know, I, I'm thinking if they just leave it all alone, mm-hmm. it's all going to be very, I would say quite, centric heavy mm-hmm. because I would think most samples when they're they're recorded I mean it depends again it depends on the sample library some will be straight on mm-hmm. others might have it in the orchestral positioning yeah front. so you have to so I I tend to I like more control so with say for example in play or in contact mm-hmm. I make sure if there's any, to take out any panning that's already in okay the actual plugin I, I I like to be centered um, and then I would See, sometimes I use, I don't always, if I want to, if I'm running out of time, I sometimes put virtual soundstage and just mm-hmm. lash it on yeah, quickly, yeah. you know, when I don't have much time. But I actually like doing it myself. Mm-hmm. I like panning myself, like the S1 imager mm-hmm. waves, um, the direction mixer, you know. Right. But I like the S1 because it's the width. Yeah. It's the gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can also sort of do oblique. Yeah. Some stuff with it. So I kind of like doing each instrument. So I have it set up in my door mm-hmm. that each instrument, instrumental family is right. panned, reverbed exactly wh- where I want it. And then I make sure my samples are centered. Right. So you, you have you have templates that you run from yeah. templates. Okay. Yeah. So I have templates and all the, the routings all set up mm-hmm. to different reverbs as well. I use different reverbs like, you know, yeah. uh, small, medium, mm-hmm. you know, large, all that kind of thing. And then I always put a very subtle... Um, medium-sized concert hall convolution reverb on 
the main output. Yeah. Because just very, very small touch to blend mm. all the different yeah. instruments I've heard, in. I've heard a lot of people do that, yeah. Yeah, I find that that, that helps as yeah. well. I, I've, I've been speaking to, you know, I had um, a guy called Evan Goldman on the podcast and he, he would be kind of, what was he said? That he has um, a very elaborate template that allows him to do, because uh, he talks about um, if if you're if you're working with orchestrators or if you're you know if there's other collaborators on the process, um, he'll have the routing set up so that he um, has it going through the the instruments and they get printed dry. Yes. And then mm. they come back through and then they get printed out wet. And then they all go through and they get printed out in, in a consolidated master file that goes. So in one in one print sweep, he prints out three different sets of stems. Set mm. And he says it was it was he talks about it in, in the podcast. I think it's um, podcast episode four. Um, and he talks about it at length and, and how he spent, you know, it was a real struggle to get it set up but now it saves some hours of you know selecting various uh you know making sure that all the oh yeah the stems the, you know the... so it goes through <laughs> and all the, the the plugins are turned off so you know it's, uh, the mixer gets it and he does his thing and so they, it's a crazy elaborate you know sort of um processes that you need to get but it's it ultimately is what works best for you and your workflow um but i think you know there, there's so many different styles of composition that, that require different different tastes you know mm -hmm. if you're looking to get the the huge bombastic sound like this kind of avengersy alan silvestri sound it's very very different from the small intimate sound of the splat for example you know mm -hmm. um you know he's very chamber orientated and he really wants it to be very close and um very intimate. intimate yeah mm -hmm. yeah so you can almost hear the the bow on string type stuff, you know, and yes. it, it really, um, would you have different templates for different setups? Is that, was that how you work? I do. I do. I actually have like an electronic one where it's, mm -hmm. so I have a hybrid, uh, which is the one that I probably work out of most. The mm -hmm. one that has the MIDI and has, um, also the, the solo tracks in there if I need to use them. So mm -hmm. I would use that. Then I have, uh, electronic, mm -hmm. which is, the omnisphere, the sound design, where mm -hmm. there's no real acoustic. I might have a couple of acoustic tracks set up if I want to just put on a solo mm -hmm. instrument with the, the electronic stuff. Um, and I actually do have sometimes, and I and again, if only if I have time, I have a, a mixing mm -hmm. template, template, which mm -hmm. is just audio stems. Right. That I, you know, do final mix and final export for, for mm -hmm. the film. You okay. Know, in in the stems, if I have time. <laughs> and that's interesting. And when you, when you're dealing in the game space, mm. obviously the, the 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 process is immensely different from there. So yes. How, how what's your workflow there like? Um, you know, because obviously you're you're working non-linearly, so it's mm. it's loop based work. So obviously you're still working in the same template to to mm. compose. But how how do you take it from there and move forward into the game? So that is like, you know, so it's the same kind of MIDI, my kind of hybrid mm. template, but it's sectioned. Mm. So I have sections. So then, and it depends, like say if, I've, if I'm doing layers, one thing will be layers. If I'm doing very kind of fragmental or wavelet 
mm-hmm. type approach. Then I would have little sections, and I actually test my wavelets in Ableton. Right. So in Ableton, you can you can load up all your individual little little branches, wavelets, mm-hmm. uh, sections, and then just trigger them. Mm-hmm. And I test them to see how well they work together. Mm-hmm. You can't quite do that in um, in, logic, in yeah. logic. I think it's the range view in Ableton. Mm-hmm. Range view, I can't remember. But anyway, so it's just you know, and you line them up and. It works kind of like the game right. engine. So you that's can, interesting. Yeah. So that's what I, I would test. And looping, yeah, just, yeah, looping is an interesting, there's, there's many techniques, say looping ambient files. Mm-hmm. There's ways of, special ways of doing, you know, you don't cut at the end. You cut like four or five bars before mm-hmm. and you take that bit, you put that at the front and mm-hmm. move the rest of it along. Right. And that creates your seamless loop. Okay. And then you hide the seam within the file mm-hmm. yeah it's hard right. to explain but yeah so there's all like so it's air. overlaps all the time right so there's going to be overlaps of no it's, it's just the way you, you pick a part where it's similar like you know there's, there's not okay. much dynamic yeah, change so there's no blend uh, there's no there's no discernible blend uh, yeah. that moves okay so and it works really well actually mm-hmm. so if you're ambient looping a certain way then obviously if you have a musical line mm-hmm. You have to zoom in, zoom in, and where that waveform crosses zero, and yeah. that's where you cut, and that's where you make to yeah. eliminate the clicks and it's pops. super accuracy. It's yeah. really accurate. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's but, a different way. Yeah, it also affects the composition. You're almost like you're thinking the, that way. Yeah, you're you're almost composing in a way that you're saying, ah, this is going to have to come back around. So yeah, and I using gotta, reverb tails as well. You cut off yeah. the reverb tail and put it at the front. There's, there's all these different, mm. yeah. Always. Composing for games is 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 really really is a it's a fascinating subject area, um, but do, would you deal then with the middleware or would you deal with the programmers that, that put it in? Because I know there's there's two different ways to do it. So you can use the the middleware software, or you can just give the music to to, uh, to, to the, the programmer. programmer and they'll just program it and do their wizardry. <laughs> uh, I've done it both ways. I think now nowadays, especially for indie games, as composers, if you know middleware, mm-hmm. you are much more desirable as a composer because you know you just can buy you know save bypass time. yeah, yeah bypass time that time. Well, yeah. And also then, if you know about code a little, you don't have to be a coder if you, or programmer, but if you know to look at Java, like I don't know, I would hate to program anything in Java, but I, I read it, I can see what's happening mm-hmm. in the code. If you just see that and understand that, then you're speaking the same language, right. which makes it so much easier. So I've done it different ways. So I have yeah. coded it um, and, then I, and then I have just had, I mean, the best one is I love it when I have an audio, dedicated audio program that you just give the files to mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. just put it in the code. Yeah, they just do it in they just 10 do minutes, it. yeah. yeah. Um, I know that um, there are some, there's a couple of movies have been made using... Um, Using game engines, uh, Unity, I think. Oh, really? Uh, Neil Blomkamp, do you know? Uh, he did. Um, he's a South African director. He made. Uh, is it uh, District Nine? Do you remember the the one about the alien? Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. They're living that was in the great. ghetto in Johannesburg. Yeah, he he's doing a lot of work. I think it's all on YouTube. He did it. I don't know if it's a couple of episodes or it's episodic in nature, but it, it's all. All of the camera, you know, all of the the, the, the filming is, has been done uh, through Unity. Through Unity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, really experimental stuff there, yeah. See, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? There there you have the yeah. the crossover right. in between. And I think as time goes on, 
it is going to become, like I said before, we're going to be sitting in the same space, whether we're playing a game yeah. or watching a film, it is going to end up being... It's unavoidable. Yeah. 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 It's um, going to be interesting to see what... You know, there has to be, and you can see there's a new wave of composers coming through. Mm. And I think, you know, we touched upon this earlier about your own voice. Yeah. And I think that is the big challenge today is like, what is, you know, how do you now create your own voice? Mm-hmm. And I think, and also too, you know, when you're working with a director who has, obviously it's it's their, you know, their films are their child. It's, yeah. their, it's their baby. And so, you know, you are part of that process of making this happen for them. So, you know, how do you keep your own compositional voice within that, Mm -hmm. but, but also fulfilling a brief. Right. And then also what is your, what is your unique voice? Mm Because there's so much out there now and there's a lot that's been, you know, the whole thematic variation development, you know, it has been done and John Williams is the master. So I think, you know, think people like, I think like Daniel Hart, Michael Levi, mm-hmm. um, Ben Frost, who actually is an Australian, I think he's from Melbourne. You know, I think these people are kind of interesting because it's the, right. the next, there's, there has to be a next wave and they are very mm-hmm. textural and technology producer, um, still organic. You know, there's still, there's orchestral elements, mm-hmm. there's electronic elements, but it's organic and it blends yeah. well, but it has a unique contemporary sound. Mm-hmm. So... That's going to be interesting to watch. I think. Yeah. The new I think. I think we're also wave. entering a entering a, a paradigm shift in terms of like the, the kind of attention that's that's given to the female voice. Uh, that's really kind of prevalent. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was speaking to Emer Noon, and yes. she's a games composer, and you know, she so you, you definitely have uh, have these these kind of voices that that are distinct. You know, mm. not necessarily because. Because it's women composing them, but but most certainly because it's it's not the same point of view that's we've been exposed to for yeah. such a long period of time, you know. And uh, you know, just, what was your kind of response, or how how would you interpret that sort of shift in in the thinking, or or the kind of opportunities that are available for for young aspiring female composers to enter that that space and you know have that voice. I mean, I think obviously it's very exciting and, mm-hmm. and I think the more diversity we have in general, you know, um, even just demographics, mm-hmm. uh, female composers, uh, it's going to bring new and interesting mm-hmm. sounds and perspectives. And, you know, I think, you know, especially from the female point of view, it's like, you know, we are 50% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you think about that and, you know, a lot of movies are, highly, you know, cinemas and movies and Netflix, women. Right. I think actually more than men watch a lot of these, um, yeah. you know, series and, and things like that, you know. So I think, and also too where where a film is about, say, a woman's experience about something, it mm-hmm. makes sense to have a female director and a female composer because it brings in a different perspective. Right. And but maybe the music's, you know, not much... I'm not saying the music's going to be different, but it will, there's, an, again, the nuance. Yeah. There will be something in it that might not have been there. Right. If it was a male, potentially. Um, but I just think, like, generally the more diversity, the more interesting music is going to get, yeah. the more um, that we can communicate effectively mm-hmm. because our audience is, is diverse. Mm-hmm. So having kind of the white male and usually older, yeah. Yeah. It, it limits 
our creativity. It limits the creative expression of what film, gaming, all of that can be. Right. So I think it's really exciting. And I can see it a lot now. It's definitely changed in the last couple of years that I've noticed myself that um, like potentially working on something in the new year and they it's, – it's again, it's a female protagonist. It's a crime show mm-hmm. but it's a female protagonist, a strong woman, ca- female character and – the producers are a male. I think there might be one female, but they specifically want a female director. Yeah. And I was like, that's brilliant. They, yeah. they like, we want this because we feel that this is the kind of, I don't know, this person can communicate or express yeah. the narrative I mean, in a different way. I mean, it's breaking the monotony of yeah. these sort of, I think the, the male Hollywood sort of, that they, they've, there's a lot of them are just not, writing anything engaging anymore it's like mm. oh let's it's been 10 years since we did that let's let's do a remake of this movie and these you you're sort of you know the big studios aren't willing to take any financial uh, ch- risks or yes. anything you know you see that most of the, the 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 people who have stories to tell and have engaging narratives they're going to tv mm. and they're they're doing you know um they're telling their stories uh, on Netflix and they're telling their stories on, on Hulu and Amazon, all these different places and because these people are willing to say, look, you've, that's a great story, go and make it happen. Yeah. Whereas Fox and, and Sony and all these people, it's like, well, uh, is, it a, is it a superhero movie? Um, Let's try and box it. Yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it's not a superhero movie or if, it, if I can't get at least a trilogy out of it <laughs> or some sort of franchising mm. that it's going to have, you know, long legs and it's going to have a little bit of life after that one movie, then they're not really that interested. You know, I think... Um, it's a shame. I think mm. Scorsese, like who thought that Martin Scorsese would have to go to Netflix to get his movie produced? It's you crazy. Know, it's like, It's what? crazy. <laughs> um, you it's know. because it's like this, the sad thing that I can see and... You know, it should all be about the art, the mm-hmm. art, yeah. you know, the craft and the art. And we're losing, I think, the art in right. the big blockbusters. And I wonder if, uh, going back to the female thing, I wonder what the, uh, the few that I've worked with, uh, just recently female directors and stuff that I've seen, if women, they seem to be maybe because we have nothing to lose really because we're, yeah. we're just out there doing our thing that they're really brave, quite mm-hmm, mm-hmm. heavy movies that I haven't seen yeah. you know, being made before. So because maybe it's it's just we've got nothing to lose. We're new and fresh yeah. to this. So we don't have this maybe baggage or yeah. fear or whatever. There might be a slight naivety to it a as naivety. well. You know, it's just like this sort of like <laughs> let's just get on with it. I've yeah. got an idea. Let's I mean, just do it. Have you seen um, Lady Bird? The, the Greta Gertwig film. One, no. no, it's a really, really nice movie. But yeah, again, it's a female director. It's her mo- first movie. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a really, really, just a really solid, great movie. It, mm. And I don't know if it was a female composer on that one, but I mean, sure, it just it just worked though. And, and the, the lead protagonist is uh, Saoirse Ronan. She's mm. from Ireland. So, mm. you know, it's just there there are there's it's definitely a space in which that there's there's stories to be told mm. and there's there's innovations to be made there for sure um outside of the i think people are getting a bit tired of of the same mm. um kind of formula that that's been applied you know you can see the three act structure coming out you know it's it's getting very very predictable you know yes. almost sort of parodies of themselves now like you know it's like you made Iron Man, 
now you're making Iron Man 14, you know, it's just <laughs> the same thing. Sticking to the same formula. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's fear and it's money. Reliability, it's yeah. Weird. It's just let's churn it out because – and there is – I mean, there is that argument for – I don't know how much, if it's actually realized, but, you know, if we make big money here, mm -hmm. then we can trickle the money to make the smaller, right. more interesting projects. I don't know how much yeah. that actually happens, but there is this theory of, I, I can't you know, remember the director's name, but he made, there was a movie came out last year called uh, A Ghost Story. <gasps> That's Daniel with, Hart. Yeah, I loved that with film. With Casey Affleck, yes. yeah. But that, that movie was made from the money he made from Pete's Dragon. Yes. Which is insane. Like, he didn't tell anybody about it. He yeah. was like, wasn't he going to take my, take my money and make this actual good movie? <laughs> and he made it on, <laughs> like, very, very little, apparently, for yeah. what It was a wonderful film, so it was, but he, he didn't tell anybody about it or he, he didn't go to a studio looking for budget. and Just did know, it himself. Again, you know, even with, with the podcasts, and mm. I think we live in a world where we're... We're looking for honesty. We're looking for things mm. to feel honest. You know, in in a in a world of Trump and fake yes. news, and 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 you know, we're so accustomed to you know twenty four hour news cycles where information is constantly being thrown at us, and whether we like it or not, you know, it's hard to feel related to anything anymore. You know, because it's like, oh well, what's the next thing? Because, you know, you, there's a tsunami in Indonesia. It's a really horrible event. Right. Okay. And then the next, the next thing, thing. It comes along. And so the, it's hard for humans to engage in a, on, a, on a really deep and meaningful level with any individual story. Mm. You know, empathy, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. It's hard for humans, modern day humans, to feel empathetic to, towards a narrative or a storyline. Because um, you're only going to be in that space with that character for maybe an hour and a half, two hours before you're going to leave that story. Hmm. And to create a character that's, that's you know, relatable and that people can, that they, oh, I really seen this movie the other day and you have to see it. It's, you know, it, it impacts them after they leave the theater. You know, that is something that's a challenge for, for directors and storytellers and composers. Because I think composers have kind of accepted that it's very unlikely that a uh, audience member is going to leave the theater singing one of their tunes, right? <laughs> so now it's about trying to get the audience member to leave the theater remembering the movie. You know, what I mean, remembering the, the the characters' names or remembering, you know, and that's, experience. That's, that's that's the that's the world that we're living in, and it's really difficult for for directors to to, to get that that sort of. Um, connection. connection yeah exactly oh no i definitely think that um we have you know i, I kind of think of it back to the minimalists you know it's like we've got so much going on there's mm -hmm. so much noise and static and yeah. news in politics life technology too it's like we are constantly bombarded with mm -hmm. messages this, right that. um and it's almost like we need a recalibration yeah and and i think that's the the idea of like you know, the minimalist kind of, you know, mm -hmm. after the modernist music and serialism. Yeah, overload, yeah. Overload and disconnect, complete disconnect with the mm -hmm. audience. It's like going back to the basics. And maybe that's what these directors are doing yeah. as well of like, I am just going to make something for me yep. that is resonates with me and I hope with other yeah. people. And if you like it, great. Great. If, if you, you don't, don't great, yeah. fine, you know. And I think one thing I noticed about film and I think, and then music obviously struggles with that as well, is that a lot of the, the films that we're seeing in cinemas today and, you know, especially the big block, blockbusters, 
they just – the pace of them is so fast. They mm-hmm. almost stumbling over themselves to get the story out as fast as they right. can before they lose the audi- the attention of the audience. Yeah. It doesn't – and you look at the older films, even the 80s. Now you watch an 80s film, you're like, geez, this slow is so burn. slow. Yeah. It just unfolds slowly. Right. And I think we've missed that. We're, we've just gotten so fast. Yeah. Like quick, quick, yeah. next thing, next thing. You know, I think I wonder if we need to just slow down. And I like even a ghost story. It just unfolds. Yeah. And it captures people. And so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I thought about that for weeks afterwards. Yeah. You know, I was touched by that. And I, I, I hope and I think that, you know, I would hope that things yeah. go more that way. I mean, he, Casey Affleck, for, you know, whatever people, you know, there's the whole controversy about him, but, I, you know, yes. not going to get into <laughs> that. But on, on the on the, on the the work alone, he did he did a ghost story and he did um, the one Man- he won the Oscar for. Manchester. Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. You know, those, those were two stellar, really? stellar films. You know, yeah. Really, really top stuff. And they were both indies, both yeah. indie, indie picks. Um, you know, the, the Lady Bird and all these, all these... Um, the, the space, um, you know, going to film festivals, <laughs> people go to film festivals to see honest movies now. Mm, it's it's, mm. it's not about, oh, I want to go and see what's going to win at Cannes or what's, you know, they, they would be kind of like foreshadowing what's going to be picked up for the Oscars. So it would be like almost a, an Oscar buzz ceremony. Mm. But now it's almost about going to see movies that haven't been tainted by, you know, the vision. There's no producer's getting involved and saying, oh, but this is boring. The audience isn't going to like that. Cut that out. Or that dialogue's too yes. too intellectual or something. You know, the, the filmmaker made that and that's exactly what is on the screen. That is you what, know? that's and, their um, vision and that was it. And that's and that's the collaborative process and the, the conversations that have been had uh, with them and their DOPs and their script writers and their actors and their composers. And you can just see that that work you know, for all of its limitations, for all of, you know, the budget restrictions or whatever it had on it, it's still an honest piece of work. And that's the main draw that for me, film festivals and, and indie films really do have, especially foreign mm. films as well. They they don't seem to bend their knee to the Hollywood kind of format. Formula. Yeah, yes. you know, especially like the European, like the German films and, and Scandinavian films. They're, they're just great. They're just like... We're awesome. Yeah. And we're just, I've seen a movie at Galway when, uh, when we were at Galway Film Festival in Ireland, and um, there was a uh, was the, I can't remember the the German uh, the English translation was in the Isles, and it's just about a, a guy that works um, in a like he stacks shelves in a supermarket, <laughs> and it's just the, the the whole thing just wow. is him you know in the in this little machine that the forklift that like lifts up the boxes and puts them on top of the shelves and it's such a slow burn a slow paste and there's there's not a lot of music in it and it's it's a lot of like industrial sound uh, diegetic sound and i was just sitting going this is wonderful this is so it's like real and- it's like going and listening to a symphony you know what i mean it, it just takes time to unfold and you're sitting mm. there and at the end of it you feel rewarded that you've earned the ending like it wasn't just spoon fed to you you know it's not mcdonald's well, that's exactly. Like, it's like eating it's, a good meal and the, the dessert at the end. You've, you're like, I've, I've digested earned, it. <laughs> I've earned this this dessert. I've earned this coffee at the end of the meal, and that's what a film should be. Ex- that that's exactly. I was just thinking when you're saying that. Not only is it quick, but they they tell you everything just in case you missed it. This is the villain. Just yeah, in case yeah, you yeah. missed it. Whereas the European and the slower older movies or whatever, <laughs> they. They assume there is an intelligent audience right. watching this film, which I think we appreciate as mm-hmm. an audience. We're like, 
we have to figure this out a little bit. And that's where you get the enge- the investment happens in the engagement right. and you feel like you've earned, yeah, it, earned it, the ending. There's, there's really not a, an area of just life that's not sort of like either super like complex or just overtly simple. I mean, yeah. It's just like the binary life. Like there's no gray yeah. very much anymore. Yes. Uh, everybody's just ruled by by the clock. Yes. The <laughs> um, black and the white and the yeah. one and the zero. And uh, it's, it's just like, you know, the time, you know, the movies and the movies out, you know, it's in the cinema for a week, two weeks, and then it's out, you know, it's gone. <laughs> go get it on iTunes or something like that, you know. Well, I think you mentioned something interesting there that I think is a real, I mean, it's it's in art and, you know, we're looking at film and music, is the non-dual, mm-hmm. living in the non-dual, living in the grey and the tension. Yeah. And I think as composers, when you, it should feel tense. I think writing music or making a film, there should be a bit of, Yeah. I think that, because that's where life is. It's in yeah. the grey, it's in the tension, it's in the, discomfort yeah i mean it's it's again it's 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 getting into that unknown it's getting it's exploring and i think that's what humans want as as thinking creatures they they want to explore something or be exposed to something that they might not have considered or might not have thought of or uh just have never even you know never even thought that that's what the movie was about you know you can get into you know, Arrival, you know, that that was so linguistically complex yeah. that nobody thought going into that movie that they were going to be like, you know, become be linguists <laughs> for an hour and a half, you know. Yeah. And it, 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 there's so many movies that are that are, that are are flying under the radar, mm, you know. I think so. I think that's we people are starting to get in every aspect, the world, politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're in a big shift, a real consciousness shift yeah if you want to kind of again be a bit uh, spiritual or esoteric mm-hmm. or anything like that you know i think society humanity is heading towards a new sh- a shift of like we are getting tired mm-hmm. um we're getting a bit fed up frustrated as a society and it's that you know the rehashed stuff it's like again and again we want something new and meaningful yeah and i think that's where we're going to go and meaning and i'm thinking vr you think of meaning can be because it feels real mm-hmm. you're in, and you're engaged, you're physically yeah. engaged in the space or in a game you are engaged because you're making choices. And I think as composers, filmmakers, you know, we are really on the cusp of looking for something that's genuine, mm-hmm. real and that people can connect with and that's new and fresh. And I think that's why the music is shifting. Yeah. It's like a pendulum. It's gone. It's going to go one way to yeah. weigh the to the other before it finds its new space. Yeah. So maybe it's that texture, it's the electronics, it's the you know processing of sound. But I think we are, and I've heard directors talk about we want a new sound. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not saying I want a melody or I want a new melody or whatever. They're like we want a new sound. Right. And I think that we want a new everything. Yeah. And I think that's super exciting. And I think technology. It, is used in a certain way is going to be a big part of that. Yeah. And our own creativity. But it's a, you know, I always talk about creativity comes first and then you figure out how to do it. So there's a, the only temptation we have is to be limited by technology. But if Mm -hmm. you put creativity and the idea first and then go, I'll figure it out. That's where innovation happens. Yeah. I'm curious, have you looked into any AI stuff or any artificial intelligence work? No. I mean, the only thing... I, I didn't do it myself, but I supervised a project where they used um, a bit of AI in composing music mm-hmm. for a game in response to events. 
Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. So I can't, it was um, Cellular Automata, I think it's called. The It's a programming language, but it's kind of like a, maybe not artificial intelligence, but it's a it's a learning machine. Right, it's machine learning. Machine learning. Yeah, so yeah, machine yeah. learning, using machine learning to compose music. Um, right. that it does it itself and responds to events itself. Yeah. So yeah. that's the only thing I've come across. Yeah, I've seen there was, um, there was an AI, I think it was 2000, does it say? Um, 2016, I think, there was a Belgian AI company and it's the first non-human to be recognised by a PRO. Oh. Uh, it's called uh, Eva, A-I-V-A. And they released an, an album called Genesis. Oh wow! Um, and it's uh, yeah, yeah. So that it 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 is here. It is most certainly back here. I'm, I'm thinking Iliac Suites by yeah. Hilia. Le- I can't say his name, but Hilia is a last name. Right. The Iliac Suites. That was the first computer generated right. algorithmic. As in, it created its it own created music. Itself, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is creating. So um, this is this is creating symphonic works. Oh my gosh! Uh, I think uh, these were just like chamber pieces, but right. This, <laughs> this is creating like large scale symphonic works, um, and it's gosh. and it, I think SASM, the the Belgian PRO, has um, granted it, you know, like full artists recognition. So it's um, it's definitely going there. But um, Natasha, thanks so much for for coming on. My and, pleasure. Uh, last thing is, where can people find you? Uh, have you are you online? Do you have a website? Yes, I have a website. Um, it's www.natashapaulberg.com, and it's Natasha without a H. That's okay. that's the kind of uh, a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm managed by. Um, uh, a group called Avant Music Port. Um, so my agents are there if anyone wants to get in contact with me through for projects or anything. Okay. And there's obviously SoundCloud um, as well with my works. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much.